Hey, sis. Welcome to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast. Now, real quick before we get into the show, did you know that this podcast is a spinoff from a book that I wrote? Yes. Mom Keys to Mental Peace, 12 Tips to Become a Healthy Mom and Raise Healthy Children. In this book, I share my story about how I identified toxic patterns of thinking about life and motherhood. I share how God helped me to transform by the renewal of my mind. I didn't want to keep this revelation to myself, so I packaged it in a book to share how you can transform your mindset and lifestyle too. This book is for anyone who desires to break unhealthy generational patterns in their family, want to build healthier and stronger relationships with their children, or for anyone who wants to overcome the battle of negative thoughts in their mind. After reading this book, you will learn how to gain confidence in who you are as a mother, handle unhealthy thinking patterns when they appear in your mind, and position yourself to achieve mom-life balance. This book is available wherever books are sold, and the link will be in the show notes. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast. I'm your host and sister in Christ, Tari Kaya Allen Butler. This is a podcast for millennial moms who struggle with limiting beliefs and want to learn how to make over their mindsets and level up their lifestyle in faith and family. Tap in each week for the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast where you will learn major keys to stop coming up short on your goals and start leveling up for the type of lifestyle you desire God's way. Ready to level up? Let's do it. Hey, everybody, and happy new year. Um, I hope that you all are doing well today. This is the first um, live recording podcast of the new year. And I'm excited to be here, excited to have you all here. Um, welcome to our returning listeners and welcome to our new listeners. Happy to have you here. I'm excited to hop into today's conversation. Um, I did a poll a few weeks ago <clears throat> where I shared how I've been studying um, certain books in the Bible and I wanted to come and do a Bible study. And I gave three options to do it on the podcast, um, a live Bible study or virtual. And the top two choices were a virtual podcast, excuse me, a virtual Bible study or a podcast episode. So I decided to do a series um, for the next couple of episodes on a Bible study for the book of Job, because y'all, I have gotten so much revelation um, studying this book, and that's what today's podcast episode will be based on. Now, most of my Bible study is done in a Bible called the Life Application Study Bible. And for those who are watching on video, I have it right here. Um, I got my Bible from Hobby Lobby. And just a quick sidebar, any type of Christian books, 
um, that you're interested in, Hobby Lobby always has them on sale. Um, there's always a percentage off on Christian books. So I will provide the link to get the um, Life Application Study Bible. It is available on Amazon. And um, I will say the cover looks a little different than the one that I have. But um, if you have a Hobby Lobby near you, they have um, that Bible in there as well. So this is a good Bible if you have a hard time understanding scripture um, or if you just simply want to go deeper in your Bible study. I know most Bibles typically just have the scriptures, the chapters, and not really much um, explanation on what you're reading, right? Unless you use some type of a different source or you're in like a Bible study group where you all can discuss and talk about your revelations um, from what you get from what you read. But I really like this because it provides um, all of that in the Bible. So there's um, in-depth information about each book of the Bible. It gives background context. There are footnotes for a deeper understanding of each scripture. Um, it gives the timelines of events. Um, so you kind of know like what time period um, the events in that book was happening. It gives a blueprint to outline um, like the major key points that you should be looking for or that will be discussed in each book. It provides cross-reference scriptures. So the, these are scriptures that are in other books of the Bible that are connected or related to a certain scripture that you're reading. And the um, translation that I have is the New Living Translation. For me, that's the most easiest to understand. Um, I feel like the New Living Translation is kind of like how I'm talking to you right now. It's not really uh, the arts and thou's. Um, and there's another version, I believe the Amplified version, which I feel is just really wordy <laughs> because it um, elaborates like in parentheses what it means. So the New Living Translation is what I have. So highly suggest that that's something that you invest in this year if you want to go deeper in your Bible study or if you're somebody that just feels like I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. This is a great place to start. All right. So. Hopping into the book of Job. Now, I will say I was a little nervous about studying this scripture. Um, if you've been in church for any time or are familiar with the books, Job <laughs> went through it. You hear me? Um, he was definitely on the strong soldier list, like number one on that list <laughs> during this time period. Um, so I was nervous about reading it because it's like, if I read this guy, does this mean that you about to bring some type of suffering to my life. And I'm reading this to be prepared for it. But in all actuality, you know, in this life, and I've shared this before, in my 31 years of life, even though life be life and we have high moments and low moments. So why not, you know, read and prepare on how to suffer well. And I got so much revelation um, from this book. It's about 43 chapters, I believe, in the book of Job. Um, I did not read it all in one setting. I broke it up, you know, and read over time, but a lot of revelation on just life and how to suffer well. And I know suffering is something that we all face. You know, we all go through trials and things and some of us, you know, handle trials a little better than others. But I just wanted to share um, the revelation that I got from Job in regards to how to suffer well. So I'm just going to give you a quick backdrop of the book of Job. I highly suggest that you go and read it yourself. 
Um, don't just depend on what I'm saying and what I'm sharing. Of course, you can, you know, make connections um, if you take notes on what I share today, but be sure to go and dig into this book yourself. It is good. It is juicy. It is informative. Um, and I'm just going to give a quick summary of the book of Job. So the purpose of this book is to demonstrate God's sovereignty and sovereignty means his supreme power or his authority and the meaning of true faith and to address the question, why do the righteous suffer? All right. That's going to be a big theme of what I share today. That why question, why do we suffer? And more specifically, why do the righteous suffer and righteous being people who are obeying God living for God, doing what he says, but somehow still find themselves suffering. We're going to go into that. Um, This book tells the story of Job, who is known as a man of God. So Job was a prosperous farmer who lived in the land of Uz. It's U-Z, so I hope I'm saying that right. (laughs) Um, But he was rich, okay? He was in his bag. He was very wealthy at this time. Um, he had thousands of sheep, of camels, other livestock. He had a really large family and many servants. So you would, you could say that Job was doing very, very well for himself. He was very wealthy at this time. Um, so there's a part in, at the beginning of this book where Satan comes to God and says that the only reason that Job trusts God so much is because he was wealthy and because everything was going well for him. So as a result of this conversation between God and Satan, Job's faith was tested. God allowed Satan to destroy Job's children, servants, livestock, and herders, but Job continued to trust God. Now let's pause here (laughs) because this is one of those, that's our first question of why. Why did God allow Satan to destroy Job's children, his servants, his his livestock. Why did God allow that? <laughs> you wouldn't think that God would allow bad things to happen or allow the devil to directly do it to us or give him the go ahead. Like, sure, you can do that, right? That's not something that we feel like <laughs> is the character of God or that God would allow. So let's keep going deeper. Um, Then on top of that, Satan attacked Job physically by covering his body with painful sores. Um, I know that reading this, another word that they describe these sores to be as boils. I don't know if any of you have ever got a boil like under your arm or like the back of your leg or your inner thigh, but that mess hurts. (laughs) Okay. So I can't imagine your whole body being covered in that. That was the case um, for Job. So while all of this is happening to him and he's going through, all of these things are being taken from him, his wife tells him to curse God and die. But Job decided to suffer in silence. Three of Job's friends came to visit him um, once they heard about all the suffering and the loss that he was going through. Their names are Eliphaz, Biliad, and Zapher. Now, this is important because the majority or the middle of the book of Job um, is about these three friends petitioning their reasons why Job is suffering. (laughs) And we'll go into that. Um, They believe that he was suffering because of some type of sin that he committed. 
um, that he was not admitting to to God. But as I shared before, the reason he was going through it is because Satan came to God and asked if he could do it. It was nothing that Job did wrong. Um, so that was like a reoccurring theme in this book was that his friends were trying to convince him that you must have done something wrong <laughs> for all of this to go on in your life right now. So at first, when the friends came to console him, they, they grieved with him silently. But then they began to speculate why Job was suffering, saying that he was suffering due to his sin. They told him to confess his sins and turn back to God. But Job maintained his innocence. So throughout the chapter, you will see they come up with reason after reason on why he is suffering all of these um, speculating, these secret sins that he may have had or what he may have done. But Job stood, uh, he stood on business, as people are saying now, like, I did not sin. I did not do anything wrong. I know that I'm righteous. I know that my heart posture is right for God. And he did not let them convince him that he did something wrong or that he sinned. He stood on what he believed. Um, on top of the three friends, later in the book, there's a young man named Elihu, and he gave his insight on why Job was suffering. Um, and his statement wasn't fully wrong, but it wasn't fully right either. And I'll go into that a little deeper. But his reasonings kind of prepared the way for God to speak and answer Job about his suffering. Again, that why question, why is he going through all of this in the first place? Um, God spoke to Job in a through a mighty storm um, at the end of this book, and Job fell in humble reverence before God. So at the end of the chapter, God starts to not even explain why he's going through it, y'all, but starts asking him questions to prove to Job, like, this is not that. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. He starts asking Job, like, um, do you know how to create the oceans? Do you know the depths of the sea? Do you know how the waters um, know not to go out into the land and stay where they are? Do you know how I created this earth? And to which, no, Job does not know. And it humbled him um, and just kind of goes back to the beginning of what this whole book is about is to understand God's sovereignty, that he is in authority, that he is in charge, that he knows all. And that all we have to do, all we can do is either trust, decide to trust him or not trust him. Um, and later in the story, God rebuked his three friends and Job and the suffering ended and Job was restored to happiness, health and wealth. So it says that Job was restored um, two times over what he had before um, as a result of his suffering. So we're going to go into four ways um, to suffer well. And a lot of what I'm sharing today is from the Life Application Study Bible. So there are sections within the chapter that gives like um, extra information and little footnotes on the scripture. So that's where this is coming from. So the first way to suffer well is to understand that you may not know why you are suffering. Okay. Through no fault of his own, Job lost his wealth, his children, and his health. His friends were convinced that Job had brought the suffering upon himself. So the greatest trial that Job, um, excuse me, the greatest trial for Job was not the pain or the loss that he experienced, 
but being unable to understand why God was allowing him to suffer. <laughs> that, And I can see that, like you're losing your family, you've lost your health, you've lost your wealth. You know for a fact that you've done nothing wrong, that you've been in alignment with God, that you've obeyed God. So I can understand how frustrating that must be to wonder, why is all of this happening to me, right? Suffering can be a penalty for sin, but it is not always the case. Just like prosperity isn't always a reward for being good. Y'all, that quote hit so hard for me because we see this in life today. I know of so many wealthy people or rich people, especially these celebrities, child, that have been exposed <laughs> out here in these internet streets. Um, you see their wealth, you see their riches, you you see their accomplishments and everything, and you can automatically assume, oh, they're blessed, oh, they're prosperous because they're doing something right, or these are blessings as a result of something that they did right. But that is not always the case. Just like here, it is not always the case that people suffer because of a sin that they committed. Just because we love God doesn't mean that we are exempt from trouble. Although we may not be able to fully understand the reasons for the pain we experience, it can lead us to rediscover or deepen our relationship with God. And that statement couldn't be any more true. Think about the times that you have gone through deep pain or deep loss or suffering. Usually this is when you start to cry out to God for help, or this is usually when you start to seek God and try to connect with him and you deepen your relationship with him, or if you strayed away from him, this is that time where you start to come back to God, right? So this was a revelation for me because I thought that suffering equaled punishment for sin my entire life. I can especially remember thinking this um, as a kid when I was younger um, and mostly in my teenage years, specifically with me having premarital sex. I just knew that as a result of me doing this, that anything bad that happens in my life was a result of that because I decided to have sex before marriage um, because I was not under covenant, that I didn't deserve anything good from God, that God was mad at me, that anything bad that happened to me, I deserve because it was a punishment for my sin. Like this is how I thought. Um, I thought that if I obeyed God, blessings will come. And if I disobeyed God, punishment will come. But after reading this chapter, I see that it is not that black and white. <laughs> that is not um, always the case or always how punishment for sin or blessings for obedience show up. So this book helped to debunk that lie that I've believed all of my life. Um, and one point here is for us to think about Jesus he suffered on the cross for our sins and he did not sin his entire life. So um, this right here proves that um, sin doesn't necessarily mean, excuse me, this right here means, proves that we don't suffer always because of something wrong or bad that we did. Because like I shared, Jesus didn't sin or do anything bad, yet he was you know, crucified on the cross as a result of our sins. So it's easy to think that we have all the answers, right? If you sin, you're punished. If you do good, then you're blessed. We think we have all the answers, but in reality, only God knows exactly 
why events unfold the way that they do. And we must submit to him as our sovereign or him being the authority. We have to decide to trust God no matter what happens, <laughs> right? And another thing for this, um, I've done like a Bible study on Genesis a little bit where you know God named everything good, the fruit is good, the animals are good, right? Our perspective of good and bad is not the same as God's good and bad, right? So that's where that line that no matter what happens, we still have to trust God no matter the outcome of the situation because ultimately only he knows why things happen the way that they do. All right. The second thing that you can do to suffer well is to shift your perspective. So in this book, they listed um, four different views of suffering. The first view of suffering is Satan's view, which says that people believe in God only when they are prospering and not suffering. So this is not true. And one way that you can, um, one question that you can ask yourself for this is, is God only good when everything is going your way and no suffering is present at all? Now, I don't know about you, but I have heard before, if your life is like smooth sailing and you have no type of suffering or no type of issues, then that means that the enemy probably already has you. And there's not much that he has to do to try to throw you off your course or get you to move away from God because he's already got you. So that's something good to think about. So again, I repeat, the first view is that people believe in God only when they are prospering and not suffering. And remember, this is not true. And you have to ask yourself, is God only good when everything is going your way and no suffering is present at all? The second viewpoint was Job's three, his three friends view, which says that suffering is God's judgment for sin. Now, this is not always true. And a question to reflect for this is, what do you believe about God's character in the midst of suffering? The third view is Elihu's view, which was the younger um, friend who spoke up after the older three friends said something to Job. And his view is that suffering is God's way to teach, discipline, and refine us. This is true, but it's incomplete in explanation, right? So one question to reflect for this is, how is your heart posture during suffering? Do you try to find the teachable moments? Are you open to discipline? Um, are you open to being refined when you're going through suffering? Or do you just feel like, you know, woe is me, this is unfair. Why is this happening to me? You know, kind of reflect on that. And then the last um, view for suffering is God's view, which says that suffering causes us to trust God for who he is, not what he does, Okay. So one question to reflect on this is, do you run to God or do you run away from God in the midst of suffering? All right. The third thing you can do to suffer well is to understand how suffering affects us. All right. So I'm going to go through um, several different scenarios that they shared in this Bible about when suffering is helpful versus when suffering is not helpful. Okay. So suffering is helpful when we turn to God for understanding, endurance, and deliverance. 
Suffering is harmful when we become hardened and reject God. Okay. So this is kind of what I was sharing a little bit earlier. When you're in suffering, do you, how does your heart posture look? Does it harden up and you start to reject God and just feel like you going through this is unfair? You shouldn't be going through this. Why is this happening to you? You do everything right. And it's unfair for these bad things to be happening to you right now. That is not helpful (laughs) if that's your mindset. But it is helpful if you turn to God for understanding. If you endure the suffering. Job, I don't know how many years I wish it um, said how long he suffered because there was a lot of things that happened or events that took place to show that this suffering was kind of long-term. Like it wasn't just this one day that everything happened. It was a couple of days, weeks, maybe even years that he was in this. So being able to endure the suffering. Um, Another point they said is that suffering is helpful when we ask important questions that we might not take time to think about in our normal routines. Suffering is harmful when we refuse to ask any questions and therefore miss lessons that will be good for us. And this is a a life mantra or a principle that I live by. There is always a lesson, especially in loss or suffering. There's always a lesson to find. So be willing to ask those hard questions, to do that self-reflection in the midst of suffering. Another point says that suffering is helpful when we are prepared by it to identify with and comfort others who suffer. Suffering is harmful when we allow it to make us self-centered and selfish. So this, um, I have seen this happen with a family member who um, they were adopted when they were younger and here they are in their old age and just can't seem to get over why they were adopted. Like their heart is just so broken. Why was I given away? Why did this happen to me? This was so unfair. And I mean, this is they're in like their 60s and still this woe is me, right? It's becoming self-centered. It's becoming selfish. It's self-focused that all of this happened to me or I'm the only one going through this or nobody understands. And I just can't help but to think like, man, what if they took that pain and did some type of outreach to other children who were adopted or connected with um, people who were adopted and did some type of outreach group or some type of meeting or some type of foundation or or spoke up for you know children in adoption or parents who wanted to adopt some type of training or counseling for them. Like there are so many things that you could do with your suffering to share with other people who may be suffering as well. I know with me in this platform, it started off with me sharing my testimony about being a teen mom and the things that I faced in regards to, you know, low self-esteem, low value, shame, um, trying to prove myself to others. Um, As a result of me suffering in that season, here I am showing up and speaking to you all about how I was able to overcome the things that I went through. So if you are in a place that you're going through suffering, don't focus on yourself or feel like, woe is me, or you're the only one going through this. Start to turn that energy and that pain and and reach out to others and speak to others. Maybe you haven't arrived at a place that you um, 
have overcome the suffering. So maybe you need to connect with somebody who has overcome it so that their story can empower you, right? Um, that's the power of the testimony. We aren't supposed to just sit in, in our shame and our hurt by ourselves. We're supposed to share our testimonies with others, connect with others, um, and help bring other people out of suffering based off of our stories and where we've been from. I, I truly believe that. All right. Another point is that suffering is helpful when we are open to being helped by others who are obeying God. So the point that I just shared, suffering is harmful when we withdraw from the help that others can give. So again, that isolation or feeling like nobody can help me or nobody understands, you don't want to stay in that place of suffering because it's not going to be helpful. Suffering is helpful when we are ready to learn from a trustworthy God. Suffering is harmful when we reject the fact that God can bring out, excuse me, suffering is harmful when we reject the fact that God can bring good out of calamity. And calamity is an event causing great or often sudden damage or distress or a disaster. Suffering is, um, hold on, let me back up. So suffering is helpful when we are ready to learn from a trustworthy God. Suffering is harmful when we reject the fact that God can bring good out of calamity. So that goes back to that verse that God works everything out for our good, right? Even though you're in the midst of suffering right now or experiencing some type of disaster, do you truly believe that God can turn the situation that is bad for your good? I can think back on so many things <laughs> that in the moment of suffering, it was just like, oh my gosh, why am I going through this? This is the worst thing ever. And then I look back and it's like, wow, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have been able to do X, Y, Z, or this opportunity wouldn't have opened up. So just be open-minded to that, that God can change things and turn um, harmful things around for your good. Okay. Um, suffering is helpful when we realize that we can identify with what Christ suffered on the cross for us. So that's the point that I shared earlier, how Christ was crucified on the cross and he did not sin right? But that still was something that he experienced. Suffering is harmful when we accuse God of being unjust and perhaps lead others to reject him. So again, speaking on things that we don't know, because only God knows the true totality of why things happen the way that they do. Why did Jesus have to die? So that he could redeem us for our sins and so that we can have everlasting life um, and not perish forever because of our sins. So yes, in that moment, him being crucified was a, a horrible thing, an awful event, but God saw that bigger picture moment. We don't always know the bigger picture of things and why we go through certain things. So keep that in mind. Don't reject God and start false claiming God saying, oh, he's he's a horrible God. God don't care about you. God don't love you because he allowed X, Y, Z to happen baby, this is not that, <laughs> okay? You don't see the bigger picture of why that was allowed to happen. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. And the last thing that they shared here is that suffering is helpful when we are sensitized to the amount of suffering in the world. And suffering is harmful when we refuse to be open to any changes in our lives. So that's that stubborn mindset, that stuck mindset, 
that nope, nothing can get better. It is the way it is and things will always be this way. That's a harmful place to be, baby. A harmful place to be. All right. And the last thing that you can do to suffer well is to have a strong foundation in your relationship with God. Okay. Now think about um, any type of building or a house, right? For any building, the foundation is critical. It must be deep enough and solid enough to withstand the weight of the building and other stresses. Our lives are like buildings and the quality of each one's foundation will determine the quality of the whole. All right. If we use low quality materials to build a home, it's going to fall apart. It's going to crumble whenever tests come. I know, for example, my stepfather, rest his soul, he um, used to build houses or lay brick. And I remember um, me asking him about like uh, trailer homes or like double wide homes. I was looking at some of those. And he says, you know, they're good starter homes. um, But after about 10 years, your foundation will start to break down because the quality of materials that they use to build those homes are not strong enough to withstand over time, right? So that's the same thing with our lives, right? If we use low quality materials to to build our lives, whenever storms and trials come, our lives are going to (laughs) crumble. We're going to have a hard time. Think about when a hurricane comes through a city, trees snap like toothpicks or fly up in the sky, rooftops fly off of buildings, cars can sail away like toys, houses collapse and huge walls of water can flow past the shore and flood the land. A hurricane cuts and tears. Only solid foundations survive this type of turmoil, but those foundations can be used for rebuilding after the storm. So it's not saying that the storm won't tear down the house, but what is that foundation like in the midst of the storm? Are you able to still build and repair what was broken based off your foundation. If the foundation is not strong, then not only is the house crumbled, but the foundation is crumbled as well. And you will either have to move somewhere else completely different or build a whole new house from scratch, from the ground up. One scripture that confirms this truth is Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 through 27. And um, this is kind of where Jesus was sharing parables. So this parable is building on a solid foundation, literally. Um, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Through the rain, excuse me, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And again, that was Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. I don't even need to elaborate because it literally is (laughs) verbatim um, what God is saying. If your foundation isn't strong, it's going to collapse, period. And I love how here is pretty much saying if you're hearing his word but not obeying, if you're not doing what the word says, then you're foolish and you're pretty much building your relationship with him 
on sand. So no wonder when trials come, you can't handle it or you can't endure or you fall apart or you withdraw from people or you don't connect to God and you run from him. It's because your foundation is not strong enough. We must listen and obey God's word in order to build a strong foundation with our lives. It doesn't matter. Excuse me. It's not a matter of if the storm will come, but when the storm comes. Okay. So again, just because you, you know, do everything God says, or you have a righteous life, that doesn't mean that trials and storms won't come. You need to be prepared, period. Our foundation needs to be prepared. All right. So a quick reflection for today, um, reflect on how you've responded to suffering in the past and how will you handle your current or your next season of suffering now that you have this information. All right. So that is all I have for you all today. Um, Like I said, this will be a series um, from my Bible study of Job. So this was part one on how to suffer well. And um, I'll have more episodes to come um, related from the book of Job. So uh, that's all I have for you all today. If you are not, please follow me on both Instagram and Facebook. I would love to have you join the Mom Keys to Mental Peace email list and community. Um, please subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel. Um, if you like to watch it live, I will upload those episodes on Tuesday. Um, and be sure to rate, share, and leave a review. Be sure to share this episode out with someone who may be going through a season of suffering. Like I said, it was, it's going to come, period, <laughs> whether we want it to or not. Um, so if you know that this could help somebody, please share it out. All right, that's all I have. And I will talk to you all next week. Take care.